This podcast is a ministry of Grand Parkway Baptist Church. For more information on our church, please visit grandparkway.org. Well, good morning. My name is Wade Collier. I'm one of the pastors here at Grand Parkway. Uh, it's, it's my joy to be in front of you this morning, uh, this Sunday, uh, the, the last Sunday of the month, a week removed from our last Sunday of Advent, um, a few days removed from the craziness of Christmas um, as, as the world feeds it to us, but hopefully um, you found some of the bliss of, of, of remembering. And, uh, and, and being rewarded with the waiting of Christmas Sunday morning. And then on the forefront of many of our minds, uh, the dawn of a new year coming. Um, we, we had four Christmases this year at our house. We were our own blockbuster Hollywood movie. We had four Christmases spread out over a couple of weeks. My daughter uh, turned four the other day, so this is the first year that she really understands um, some things of Christmas, mostly she understands gifts, but after four Christmases, you would understand gifts as well. Um, but she, um, after a time, I have to continue to remember that she's four, but after a time of getting a bike and un, uncountable toys and all those things, she, she kind of had the posture of what's next, you know, what else do I get? Um, kind of asking the question that's on the front of your worship folder this morning, now what? Um, however this morning finds you, um, at some point, this week, um, maybe this morning, maybe right now, you're asking the question, now what? Um, we've done a lot of waiting. We've been talking about waiting here in the season of Advent. Uh, many of you, your life is built up three months before Christmas. Um, this is your holiday. This is your thing. You do Christmas. Um, and now it's over. So now what? It's 2013, and that snuck up on you. You were just in high school. Now it's 2013. And your back hurts, and it takes you an hour to get dressed. What next? Um, we, we have the opportunity this morning, um, as we, as we look at God's word to, to, to peer into the life of a man that, uh, a very short caption written about him, um, but was sure, and, 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 and I'm sure you'll, you'll, you'll draw this conclusion as well. And in the series of his life, ask the question, now what? Um, so we're going to be in Luke two this morning, Luke two, um, beginning in verse 22, we're going to read through verse 35, uh, I was at Starbucks yesterday trying to escape the madness our last Christmas ended yesterday. Um, and so I kind of got out and had to recalibrate and kind of set the trajectory for this morning. was at Starbucks, got up, grabbed something, came back. And um, while I was up, another pastor had come and sat down. I didn't know him, but it was clear that he was preparing a sermon. And um, he was kind of in his own world. And if you've heard me talk about before, I really like awkward. I think awkward is a gift of the spirit, and I embrace it. Um, and so I could tell he didn't really want to talk. So I thought, well, it's my job to talk to him then. And so I said, hey, I see you're preparing a sermon. And he kind of shrugged me off. And I said, I tell you what, let's just switch it up. How about you write mine and I'll write yours. And then just don't look at it till Sunday morning. And it'll be great for our people. And he didn't find that near as funny, neither did you. Apparently. Uh, but he said, uh, he said, well, what you working on over there? And I said, well, I got Luke 2. And he said, you know, Christmas is over. No, I didn't. Thank you. I got to start all over. What did Rick Warren peach on last week? I'll just download that and uh, my people will never know. They never get on the internet. Uh, so, but this morning, even though Christmas is over, um, but because Christmas is, is past, we're asking the question, now what? And so let's look at a man um, in Luke 2, verse 22. If you don't have your Bible, it'll be on the screen um, behind you. If you'd like to hold a Bible, if you're like, there, there should be one on the pew next to you. Luke 2, beginning in verse 22. And when the time came for the purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. 
Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him and had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit to the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God. And he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. I've seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them. And he said to his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. What's going on here is, um, according to Levitical law, uh, when, when when the child is about 40 days old, um, you, you get into all the law. We won't get bogged down in the details here this morning. Um, but you, you have the woman is unclean, not because of sin, just because of Levitical law. She has to wait a certain amount of days. That puts him at the 40th day. So we find Jesus here at about four weeks old. Well, longer than that. I can't do math. I'm sorry. Uh, but about a month and a week old. Um, and, and they come, and it's interesting. They're, they're actually going, um, the, the wording here, and this is just the nerd in me, and I won't go too, they're actually going downward in trajectory, but it says they're going to the, up to the temple. So it's an interesting. So they go down to the temple because it says in the law that at this 40th day, they bring the baby to the temple, and then uh, they, will, they will commit him to the Lord. Uh, and inside the temple, there was uh, uh, an area for the females, and it had these things that are, that are called the horns. And so what the women would do is when they bring their son, um, and they would make an offering. And the, the author, Luke, gives us this great insight, and it's just kind of confirmation of what Lance said a couple weeks ago, um, of their financial standing, that they were in poverty. Because the optimal sacrifice would be a lamb. Um, a sheet that they would sacrifice. But um, if for those who did not have the money or the ability to do that, they would bring two pigeons, two turtle doves. And it says that they do just that. And that they would make that sacrifice. And then they would offer um, their son to the Lord. And then they would, quote unquote, buy him back. They would, they would, it was kind of like a loan agreement, right? They would buy him back for five shekels. And so that's what's happening here. And Simeon happens to be there when this takes place. And so this is what we're coming on. And we're going to learn a lot of things about Simeon that um, I think find us at, 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 a, at, a timely, at, at a timely day of asking, now what? Now maybe you were, um, as we saw in the video and we prayed about earlier, your house looks like a demo site right now. And so you're trying to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Um, but maybe um, your now what looks a little bit different. Maybe you're now what is, I look back on my life, I'm um, coming on, a, I, think, I think the coming of a new year causes us to do a lot of looking back and retrospect. Um, and you may look back and you say, you know what, I've, I've, I've lived uh, a life that demonstrates a lot of moral fortitude. Um, but I find myself lately of that just not being enough. And that's not really a driving force for me anymore. And so when I think about faith, I think about the Lord, I think about moving forward, um, I'm asking now what? Because I'm, I'm running on fumes at this point. And maybe um, this new year brings about a transition in your life. Um, maybe uh, you're asking the question of now what? 
um, and for this new season of life. And, and maybe it's, it is that, that Christmas season. There is a lot of buildup. Um, there is a lot of energy and emotion, some good, some fabricated by um, culture that tells us we have to feel a certain way and do a certain thing. And then when it's over, you go into the grocery store and now they're selling Valentine stuff and you felt cheated. You're like, wait a minute, what just happened? Where's my tinsel? And now it's hearts and another Hallmark holiday, right? And so now you're asking, what's, what's, what's the next step? What's the next thing that's going to make me feel fulfilled, right? And so you have this, this man, Simeon, who's been waiting his whole life. His, his commitment of his life is to see the consolation of Israel, which means he is waiting for God to send his son. And it says that God told him that he wouldn't die until he saw the Messiah, until he saw the Christ. But to bring this into to focus here, before we look at these answers of now what, is we, we've talked about this. this. Simeon is living in a generation that has waited century upon century upon century upon century from a word from God. Silence. And man, if you want to talk about a culture that could be, you could easily um, make, make, make God subject to your feelings and your emotions, imagine the silence of God, that holy silence of God. And Simeon has to, at some point, being human, being mortal, being sinful, ask the questions of, of now what, God? You, you've made this promise, but now what? And, and then he gets the answer to now what? And so if you find yourself asking the question, now what, this morning, um, let's, let's look at Simeon's life and, and see some pointers. The first one be, would be to be righteous. To be righteous. What do I mean? Verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. That word righteous in the Greek, there's this great, um, just kind of non-technical definition that we're going to reference several times this morning um, that just struck me. I, I completely, um, the, poor, uh, the poor folks that work back there in the thankless job of the media booth back there um, that get emails from us at 6 in the morning want to change things. This was one of those for me of where I completely was struck by this last night of just rereading. Righteous, in the broad sense, the state of him who is such as he ought to be. I'm going to read that again because that's good. And I want you to think it's as good as I do because we can't move forward until you agree with me. So, because <clears throat> I have the microphone and I'm in charge. In the broad sense, the state of him who is such as he ought to be. Micah 6 8 gives a, 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 just a little bit more traction to this. You don't have to turn there, it'll be on the screen behind me. Micah 6 8. He has told you, O oh man, what is good. Here's righteousness. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness? and to walk humbly with your God. Um, we don't use the message here a whole lot, but the message, um, if you've never looked at the message translation, um, it, it just, there's, there's certain captures of the Bible um, where Eugene Peterson has done a, this, just this great biblical translation. I think Micah 6.8 is a good picture of that. He says this, it's going to be on the screen as well. But he's already made it plain how to live, what to do. What God is looking for in men and women, it's quite simple. Do what is fair and just to your neighbor. Be compassionate and loyal in your love. And don't take seriously, don't take yourself too seriously, take God seriously. And so we have this definition of righteousness. We have this man described as righteous who asked the question, now what? We're asking the question, now what? And the first answer is, is to be righteous. We have this great, big titan of the faith, Simeon, to be righteous. So if, if we're thinking and we're tracking, then we're asking, what does that look like for me to be righteous? Um, it's funny how God works things out. Um, 
we've had a lot, a lot of circumstances at our house. So it was great. We had our last Christmas was this past Friday. Um, it was my family. Uh, my family was pretty laid back. And so we just kind of, I've shared with y'all before, my wife's family um, celebrate every holiday, Groundhog Day. They have a barbecue. I'm not sure. Uh, they just like to be around each other. Uh, my family was pretty laid back. So we just, uh, we, we made ours last and um, had some stuff go wrong with my wife's car and um, finances just fell into place. And my dad, who was just, man, just a man of very few words, just grabs me by the elbow and says, you don't think that happened by accident, do you? Um, and it's just interesting how the, the, the Lord works out these circumstances. So on Friday, um, I was leaving work and so I said, Hey, can you pick up a few things at the store? I need, I totally forgot something. I said, sure. And if you were out and about on Friday, that's when the, the next front came in and the hundred thousand mile an hour winds were blowing through the pasture land of, uh, of Sugarland. And I went into the, uh, the Kroger and I ran back out and was, wasn't thinking, was loading things in the car and, uh, the wind caught my door and crashed into the door next to me. It wasn't really, in retrospect, I know what happened, obviously, but I, didn't, I wasn't really sure what happened. I heard a thump. There was a lot of cars. I wasn't really. So I just finished loading the groceries. Um, I closed the door, and there is this paper. Still had the paper tags on it, a uh, brand-new Nissan Maxima uh, sitting next to me. And, uh, and I, I, I didn't actually hit the car. I hit the, the chrome handle for the door, for the passenger side uh, door. And uh, it, I know you guys have never done this, actually ding someone's door before. And then, uh, and then you do the lick the thumb and see if the paint comes off. Uh, I know you've never done that, but I've, that's what you can do if you want. Uh, and so I, I did that. And uh, it was funny this whole time. I didn't notice him until the, 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 the situation carried on a little bit. But there was this older gentleman who was uh, creeping around, just watching me. Uh, he had his Magnum P.I., persona on. He was ready to go. And, uh, he was checking out, see what I was going to do. And so, um, I got a scrap, I look around, there's nobody. I kind of stand there for a minute. I got frozen stuff. And, uh, um, you guys ever had sister Schubert's rolls by the way? Oh yes. The Lord is good. Or my mom calls them sister sledge for you seventies fans. Okay. Anyway, uh, so, uh, so I had those. So I was like, well, I'm just going to leave a note. And so I reach in my truck and I find, uh, I find a piece of paper and I, I know many of you experience, I have 15 pins in there. None of them work. Uh, I think there's something, there's some kind of scientific thing that happens when you put your pins in your glove compartment, they stop working. So, um, I took the note and I put it underneath the windshield and I didn't want to, so I, went, I ran inside to go get a pin and I, I look back and I see the guy, he's creeping over there. See what I did on the, on the, on the note. Cause some people, I'm not going to mention any names in this church, in this room right now, uh, would maybe take that piece of paper and write, I am not, I hit your car, but I'm not going to write any personal information on there. People are watching. So I look like a good citizen and just put that under. I wasn't going to do that. I thought about it, but I wasn't gonna do it. Um, and so I, uh, I ran in, got a pen, wrote a note, left it. And it was interesting because I was coming back out with the pen that worked. Um, and just, you find yourself at those crossroads. And this seems like a small thing. This seems like a small thing. If you're thinking this is, we talked about Simeon, we talked about waiting on God. And I used to always find it funny growing up in church where every illustration my pastor ever used was about like being in traffic and being frustrated at the line at the grocery store. I'm like, we don't have anything bigger than that. You aren't living more life than that. And here I am telling you about dinging a car. But anyway, and so I found myself at this crossroads of, 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 of righteousness and integrity and, and character. And just in neon, honky-tonk, bright, obnoxious lights, I saw Philippians 4 just blinking in my head. And I just want to share this with you. And this is, this is what the, the Lord used to, um, to ground me and remind me of righteousness. Uh, Philippians 4, 8 through 9, it'll be on the screen. It says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence... 
there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. So I'm looking down at the scratch on the door and I got the pen that works and I'm looking at my note and I started to run down this list that'll be on the screen behind me. I started thinking about this decision and maybe it's small and I don't know who all was watching and it's not my responsibility to measure that, but maybe, maybe somebody was watching and, but in reality, my responsibility isn't to them, it's to the Lord and it's to answer the call of righteousness. And so this list kind of ran through my head with this decision. Is it true? Is it honorable? Is it just? Is it pure or holy? Is it lovely? When's the last time you said something was lovely? This is a lovely decision. I should be drinking tea. Uh, commendable? Worthy of praise? You know, I did youth ministry in, um, up until this summer in, in a lot of different formats for about 15, 17 years. I kind of lost track. Um, but something the Lord laid on my heart early to, to impart on every student I came in contact with was everything you do is an act of worship. Everything you do can be an act of worship. I ding the door. What do I do with that? It's an act of worship. The way that I relate to people around me is an act of worship. Um, Basically, it goes back to what I told you we were going to be referencing throughout the sermon, that definition of righteousness before. Is this as it ought to be? What do I do in this situation? Is this this as it ought to be? So here's the question for us as we think about righteousness in our life. Is your life as it ought to be? Is it true? Is it honorable? Is it just? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Commendable? Worthy of praise? As we continue to look at Simeon, um, the second answer, when we're asking, what now? What do I do now? Well, we'd be righteous. We're righteous. We also finish well. We also finish well. Where, do, where, where does that come from? Look, look back verse 25 and 26 again. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. We read this passage and it kind of leads you to some conclusions, at least for me, and maybe, maybe uh, grown up in, in Sunday school and seeing the pictures of Simeon when you hear the story of Simeon. He was always an old man. Um, he had a beard he could like tuck into his belt loop. I'm going for that as well. Pray for me as I walk that road. Um, uh, but he was always, we don't know that. I mean, he could have been a young man. He could, God, God, God uses youth. We see that all throughout the Bible. But all we do know is that he was, he was a priest and God had told him, you're, you're not going to die until you see my consolation for my people, until I send my son. And it says that he was righteous. So we just listed out what righteous looked like. It also said he was devout. He was committed to this every day, every day. Is this going to be the day that I see Jesus? Is this going to be the day that I see the Messiah? Is this going to be the day that I get to see the consolation of God's people? I was um, part, part, part of the Christmas tradition for me the last few years is um, been getting together with my high school friends. This is a labor of love for me. Uh, if you've, if you've heard me teach before, uh, uh, I, think I've, I think I mentioned this the last time I was up. I, didn't, I grew up in church, but I didn't become a believer um, until the summer before I graduated high school. And so I grew up with these guys, and we played sports second grade on. We all lived in the same neighborhood. It was one of those kind of things we grew up, all in the same neighborhood, all played sports together, all carpooled together, did everything together, um, all the things you do before you know Jesus together. Are we all on the same page? Um, 
And so um, they, they started to get together and, and started inviting me to go. And we, we started to split ways that, that summer before, um, the summer before my senior year. And only the last few years has, has that kind of come full circle. And it was, it's just been a long few weeks for us. I was sharing with somebody at the door. We try to guard the ho- Christmas um, and, and New Year's in that time. And we just did, I didn't do a good job of that as, as a dad, as, as, as a husband this year, as a pastor. I didn't do a good job of guarding the holidays. So it's just been busy. It's been crazy. Does anybody else relate to that this year? I'm not sure what happened. Kind of snuck in the back door on us. And so um, driving to the heights was the absolute last thing I wanted to do. Uh, I say it's a labor of love. It's just, it's one of those things, some of you might be able to relate to this. I'm I'm a novelty to those guys. Um, It's funny to them for a lot of them. Uh, Because it's it's always hey you remember that time you you took the Ronald McDonald out of the Ronald McDonald the life size one and we welded it to the top of the school and now you're a pastor you know it's just okay great you know what and so I just had that I had that feeling in the back of that never happened okay it did Uh, and so uh, I I had that feeling just in the back of my mind and and my wife just said wait they are literally because she's she's nosy and she reads my emails. they, pray for her. They are, um, they are literally inviting the gospel. Because, I mean, it was, they were persistent in wanting me to come. And like, wait, they're inviting the gospel into their lives. And so after I got done being mad at her for being right, I went. Um, and I was talking to one of my oldest friends um, sitting across the table, and I was just, his parents were kind of like my second parents growing up. I don't know if you have experience with that. I knew that that was different. I knew that relationship was different because my parents had given them permission to spank me. Um, and they did. Uh, and so I, I love his folks and hadn't seen him in a couple of years. And I just said, hey, man, how, how, are your, how are your parents doing? Just a lot of sadness in him. He said, you know, my dad has um, gotten to the point of where his posture of life is that he might not see tomorrow. And not in a good way. Um, it's basically just a, a conscious, blatant acknowledgement of I've made a lot of bad choices and I'm going to continue to make them. And so this might be my last day. And so his whole life is oriented around finishing this beach house and that, he wants that to be his legacy for his kids. And his son, who's not a believer, is going, what in the world are you doing? You know, um, you got grandkids. And I just thought, man, what a, what a, what a like I was saying, that like God orchestrates things. What a, what a, I hated to hear it, but what a beautiful picture of not finishing well. And so it's human nature. I started thinking about Simeon and, and seeing a man who finished well and started thinking about finishing well. And I thought, I, I thought about a guy um, named John Blaze. Um, John Blaze. How many of you are familiar with uh, Iron Man, the triathlon? Um, it happens uh, in Kona. They'll show it on NBC. Um, John Blaze was not an Iron Man. He was not, he was, uh, uh, not a professional athlete. He was, a, he was an elementary school teacher. It was always his dream to compete in the Iron Man. Um, but in 2003, he was diagnosed with ALS, Lou Gehrig syndrome. Um, and so he was aware what effect that would have on his body. And so he decided that he was going to commit himself to run the Ironman. And so he did. And he trained and he qualified for the 2005 Kona Ironman. Um, as far as anybody knows, he was the only ALS uh, positive uh, patient ever to do an Ironman. And so he started uh, feeling some symptoms in his body. If you've ever been around anybody with ALS, um, it can be pretty gradual. Or it can also be 1,000 miles an hour. And he was having some of those symptoms come on. And the reporters were saying, John, what are you going to do? How are you going to finish this thing? And he said, even if I have to roll across the finish line, I'm going to finish this thing. And so you have 17 hours to finish the Ironman, to be in the record books. I mean, you can take, I mean, some people take, you know, 26 hours, whatever. But to be in the record books, to be an official Ironman, you got to finish in under 17 hours. So at 16 hours and 28 minutes, he comes up to the finish line. 
and he stops at the finish line, he lays down, he rolls across the finish line. Um, John died in 2007 from complications from ALS. Um, but I was sharing this with the first service. Do yourself a favor when you're laying around the house today and go to teamblazeman.com, B-L-A-Z-E-M-A-N. Um, that's not how you spell his name. He was B-L-A-I-S-E, but uh, Blazeman, just like it sounds. Um, and now you can race for Team Blazeman, raise money for ALS. I have uh, one of my closest friends is a pastor out here in Katy. His dad uh, passed away from ALS a year and a half ago, and he races for Team Blazeman. And so whenever he finishes, he says his dad's name, and he log rolls across the finish line. And I just thought, man, what, what a beautiful picture of finishing well. And you have these guys and ladies who uh, race all over the world, this is worldwide, as representatives of Team Blazeman. To bring us back, what, what about Team Simeon, right? What about Team Simeon? Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout. This man was righteous, and he was finishing well, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. So we're left with this, if we're found, rather, um, in a posture of what now? We have the answer of being righteous. We have the answer of finishing well. But also in verse 26 and 27, the third answer would be being spirit-led. Being spirit-led. And this is supposed to be a four-point sermon, but I'll, I'll just let you in on a secret. It's really only, it's like about a three-point sermon and then some action at the end. So we're nearing the end. Are you still with me? Neil texted me yesterday and said, don't drown them. It's the end of the, it's into the, it's into Christmas. They're sleepy. So I'll give you a three point and a little action at the end. There's 26 and 27. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord Christ. And he came in the spirit to the temple. He came in the spirit to the temple. The, the, the same phrasing that it's used there coming in the spirit to the temple is the same phrasing that it talks about John, the revelator in revelation when he has the visions that we've all read about and tried to understand, right, in Revelation, as he was in the Spirit, it's the same wording here that it's talked about John the Revelator. In the Spirit, he was led, uh, he was led to the temple. I wasn't here the first Sunday of Advent, um, but I know that Neil talked about Anna. And Anna had found herself um, as a widow, basically living at the, um, living at the temple, praying for the Messiah, praying for, for, for Israel, um, devoted to that. Uh, Simeon, we're not led to believe that he did that. Uh, there's nothing that says that he did that. And so um, his life was um, of a priest, and he probably um, lived righteously and finished well in different places. But it says on this day, he was led by the Spirit. Think about, just, just take a minute and think about the implications of that. He was led by the Spirit. This, this is the man who we've just read. His entire life was committed to seeing the Lord's Christ, to seeing the Messiah, to seeing Jesus. And on this day, on this 40th day for Mary and Joseph, when they brought Jesus to offer him to the Lord, on that day, the Spirit led him there. If he had not been Spirit-led, if he did not trust the moving of the Spirit, he would have missed Christ. He would have missed taking Jesus in his arms, literally, and holding him. It says in verse 30, For my eyes have seen your salvation. Because he was spirit-led. You start talking about the Holy Spirit, you talk about being spirit-led, leads us down several roads of doctrine and theology and, and, and many sermons, but 
for, for the sake of what we're talking about, for the sake of this character Simeon, for the sake of what God did through him and what he desires to do through us and answering his promises. I want to see, I want us to see what I think Simeon holds on to and what God is holding us to hold on to. And we find that in John 16. You don't have to turn there. It'll be on the screen behind you. Because Simeon was holding on to promises of old. Through centuries of silence, he's holding on to God says, I will send my Savior. I will send my Son. I will send the Messiah. And so he holds on to that and he listens to the Spirit. He stands on truth, listens to the Spirit. John 16, verse 13 through 15. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now, here's a great barometer because I think that just like righteousness, I think that's a word. We talk about that here. We talk about these things before we need to reclaim words. Righteous is one of those words that can become nebulous and subject to our feelings and all those things. Righteous, we, we have a clear definition of that. Being led by the Spirit can be one of those things that kind of floats off in the atmosphere and it's used for good, but also for excuses, if we're going to be honest, right? I feel like I'm supposed to do this, but maybe we're not standing on truth. Here's a good barometer to know if you're being led by the Spirit. When you find yourself in situations, when you find yourself in the midst of circumstances, and are, are you ruled by the circumstance or do you stand on truth? When you and your, your spouse aren't seeing eye to eye, do you just return to them what they've given to you if, in harsh words or do you stand on the truth and act as the Lord has, has called you to? When you find yourself in situations, you're, you're standing on something. Is it, is it opinion? Is it preference? Maybe, maybe you've, you've, this past year, you've committed in your heart to say, you know what? I hear the guy that pre- I hear, I hear, I hear the guy that preaches Neil. I, I hear him say a lot about sharing the gospel in everyday circumstances. In, in line at Starbucks, at the grocery store with his neighbors, I'm not going to just listen to those stories anymore. I'm going to begin to do that. When you do that, are you doing it based on your opinion and the circumstances and the situation? Or are you doing it based on holy timing of the Lord and the leading of the Holy Spirit? It's a great barometer as we are just seeking that out and trying to figure out what does it look like to be spirit-led, to stand on the truth. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. All of it. And I don't want to move to this last action point without um, acknowledging um, Simeon's song here. Simeon's song. We we talked about Mary's song when when Lance was uh, preaching about Mary during Advent. Um, but we also have Simeon's song. The spirit-led, righteous, finishing well man grabs hold of Jesus in his arms. And, uh, and, and he speaks this song. This song is called the Nunc Dimittis. That's Latin. You impressed? Four years of high school Latin. I got that. And I can tell you the dog is in the garden drinking wine. That's all. After four years of Latin, that was a great. Where's the guidance counselor on that one? Yeah, take Latin. It'll be good. Then get to college and fail Spanish one three times. Um, but I can pronounce nuke dimittis. Huh? Come on. Verse 29 and 30. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. That nuke dimittis, it means, uh, Lord, you're now releasing. Lord, you're now allowing me to depart. 
Um, it's, it's the first four words of, this is what I've been waiting for. You told me that I'd see the Messiah and that'd be the fulfillment of my life. And, and now take me. You, you've given me what you promised. You mean what you say and take me. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Um, a man who's a whole lot smarter than me named William Hendrickson um, translated those first, that first line as this, Now, sovereign master, thou art releasing my servant. Simeon had to believe in God's sovereignty in the midst of silence to have such righteousness exemplified in his life, to be such a man of finishing well. Um, he had to understand the sovereignty of God. Um, Michael Milton says this, and this, is, this isn't too long, but uh, I didn't want to try to act like this was my idea. <laughs> the passage is speaking about preparation for death. Simeon's hope is in the coming of Christ and his appearance. Only then could Simeon die. You are not ready to die until you've embraced Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You may be ready to graduate. You may be ready to buy your first home. You may be ready to retire. You may be ready to do many things, but friend, without Jesus, you are not ready to die. Jesus came to pay the penalty of Simeon's sins and yours. Turn to him. Turn to him in confession of your sins and repentance. And from them and surrender to Jesus Christ as the resurrected and living Lord of life. Jesus said, whoever believes in me will not perish, but have eternal life. I mean, talk about, talk about righteousness. Talk about finishing strong, being led by the Spirit. Now, if you've been around here any, any amount of time, um, you, you've heard the phrase, be the sermon. Um, we use that a lot when we talk about Worship Abroad projects. Those of you who don't know, Worship Abroad projects are when um, you, the congregation, um, come to us as a staff or leadership of the church and, and, and tell us about a need in the community. Um, and then we go and do that. Usually it's, it's a hands-on project, whether that's home repair um, a few weeks ago, um, redoing the, the landscaping outside of Oyster Creek Elementary. Um, whatever that is, the, the, the folks that are going to do that, anywhere from you know, 5 to 35 people come, um, worship with us. We commission them, they send out, and they, they're, they're released to go and be the hands and feet of the sermon, the hands and feet of Christ. Talk about that with mission experiences. Um, that, is not, um, that is not regulated to a project. That's our lives, is to be the sermon. Um, and so why do I talk about that? Because the last answer is to be a blessing. Is to be a blessing. Um, it says in verse 34, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Simeon speaks these words of life um, to Mary and Joseph, who come in here with their uh, just over a month old baby and say, this is good. This is the son of God. And through his life and through uh, his ministry, God is going to reveal himself to the people of Israel and the people of the world. Um, and, and he's going to do amazing things. But he's also, he's going to be punished. And for parents in here to think about the foreknowledge of the suffering of your kid. I've been a parent for about five minutes and that makes me nauseous. Um, but Simeon says this is going to be good. 
And God has a plan in this. And he, and he speaks this as a blessing to them to, hey, you know what? God means what he says. He just showed me. He just brought you to me. I'm holding salvation in my arms. And, 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 and God's will is good. And God's purpose is good. And he means what he says. And so he speaks life into a couple with pretty, pretty, pretty hefty responsibility on their shoulders, right? But as you sit in this room, there's people with a lot of life on them right now. And here's what I mean by a lot of life. A lot of things going on under the surface. A lot of things that we got a lot of thoughts and feelings, but maybe not words for yet. Um, my wife and I, she, uh, my wife likes to talk and I do not. Um, this is about as many words. This is about, uh, I'm going to use up all my words today. I won't talk again until Wednesday. Um, uh, but the Lord has really begun to work in me and I've learned that, that I, need, I need to process more. Uh, on external. I'm, not, I'm not an external processor by nature. I process things inwardly. Um, but I need, I need to learn how to process things externally. And there's people in this room who have things that are dying to come out. And, and, and God might give you a word for them to speak words of life to them. Or your neighbor. Or your kids. Or somebody at work. Um, but I want to give you practical application here. Because um, you look around this room, there's complete strangers. You can look around. It's okay. Make eye contact with each other. Make it awkward. Come on. There's complete strangers, and then there's what I, what I call church strangers. It's the folks that you know their face. You smile at them. You even know their name. Hey, brother. How are you? I'm good, but God's better. <laughs> but you have no idea what's going on in their life. I grew up in the kind of Baptist church where um, there wasn't assigned seating, but there was assigned seating, let's be honest, right? Um, my parents uh, go to a, the, a church very similar to that. And my parents retired um, out to East Texas. And my, if someone is sitting in the third row from the back on the left side in my mom's seat, she is fit to be tied, right? Um, but mom sits in that same seat and everybody else sits in the same seat. And so I'll go to church with them occasionally if I have a Sunday off. And I say, mom, who, who is that? She's been in church for 17 years. Those people have been going to church since Jesus was in Sunday school, and she has no idea who it is, right? She knows her name, but nothing, maybe. And that's not just my mom. That's, that's, that's us. That's me. I'm one of the pastors here, and I don't know some of your names. Can I say that out loud? I didn't mean that. Um, I did. So here, here's what we're going to do in just a minute. Is, um, I'm going to give you an opportunity to be a blessing. You can't leave. We're going to pray in a minute. We're going to close our eyes. And they're going to bar the doors. All right. <laughs> Clyde, for, for, here's what we're going to do right now. Clyde's going to come up. Um, if you if you haven't been to Grand Parkway in a while, you've never been here before. Um, we believe uh, the best way to have an invitation is to give you space and time and an environment to uh, do business with the Lord. And so um, Clyde's going to play and maybe sing a little bit, and we just want to give you some space. Um, we're finishing early on purpose. Um, but we want to give you just a little bit of time to, to say, God, what, what's, what's got my name on it this morning? God, there's a lot of words today and a lot of implications. And so, Father, we ask your Holy Spirit to come and sort and apply. God, we want to respond. We want to be people of the response. Being people of response looks righteous. 
it looks like finishing well. And it looks like trusting you. It looks like being a blessing. Speaking words of life. Unspoken blessings. Just an act where no one knows and no credit's given. Maybe in reality, the first three add up to the fourth. Because our chief end is to, to love you, to serve you, to worship you. Make us people of the chief end. We love you. We pray things in your name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to say a blessing over you. Put your hands out like this. You are sons and daughters of God. The God who means what he says. Who has imparted upon you righteousness. His Holy Spirit. The ability to finish well. And the charge to be a blessing. Let's live like it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.